0: Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the DM. This week, I'm joined by Jerry Laniv. He is a IT professional by day, and has been involved as a freelance writer and designer for tabletop games uh, for quite some time now. He's written in the past for Wizards of the Coast and Kobold Press. Uh, still continues to do some freelance work. Uh, in the past, he was formerly the community manager of Obsidian Portal and had run the Haste podcast for quite some time. And uh, overall, we've been in contact for, geez, probably a good five years or so on Twitter talking about tabletop games, video games, and any other number of topics. So, uh, Jerry, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so there's so much to get into because I know from time to time we we discuss things on, on Twitter about video games and board games, but I guess starting out more in the tabletop realm... You know, one of the things I talked with uh, Enrique about recently in a recent show was just kind of the changing landscape of the community uh, Mm -hmm. for tabletop games and specifically D&D. We've gotten into some, I think, some interesting conversations about the advent of streaming and what that's done for the hobby. And I'm just wondering, kind of picking up on some of those conversations we've had online, what have you noticed in the hobby say since 2010 2011 or so that's been eye-opening or interesting from your perspective
1: so uh you know 2010 that that's that's a good year that's that's when i started my blog and you know that was kind of uh right right at the the heyday of a fourth edition and you know there was a lot of there was a lot of bloggers you know uh mm-hmm. it it kind of that whole scene got me back into D i d I I had played in high school uh when i was younger second and third edition and stuff and it just kind of faded away and i don't even remember what drew me to twitter or or what but i you know i discovered this little microcosm and uh it, it got me back into the game. And, and Enrique and uh, yourself and uh, Mike Shea and all those guys, you know, been around blogging, talking about D&D forever. I think back then, it, I, I think it's just the nature of how media evolves in general, right? So blogs were pretty big in general back then. And, and it's not that they're not anymore. I just think they're, instead of blogs were very kind of a more mainstream thing and I feel like they're kind of they're they're a little more niche now right so back then everybody didn't have you know 1080p webcams and everybody had broadband so that they could have YouTube channels or live streams and you know live streaming isn't what it is today at all so you know I, I think some of the more interesting things back then were, um, we had these people, you know, like myself, you, like all the folks I just mentioned, didn't really, I mean, people who haven't met each other, we only knew each other through Twitter and things we posted on our blogs, but it's almost like this, you know, there's this good community of people where, like-minded or not, there's really good discussion going on, and I feel like for a while that kind of faded away, and there was a lot of signal to noise, but I feel like that's coming back now, but obviously in, you know, in a different form with, uh, you know, lots of streaming and In video content
0: as you were talking and almost discussing the the heyday of of tabletop blogging i was kind of thinking it's almost like vinyl in music where (laughs) it was like you know in the 70s vinyl was awesome and now there's kind of like a smaller community that's really into vinyl and trying to push it as like this is pure form man Um, (laughs) i I don't know but i I agree with you i mean that's when I, i started my my blog early 2011 and and meeting the people you talked about online getting back into the hobby myself it just was an exciting time to be sharing ideas Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it didn't feel that that toxic by any means yeah Um, it just felt like people trying to support each other trying to run better games and Mm -hmm. you know took a product that people for the most part were pretty happy with with fourth edition and some of the other games that were being played and trying to make it better and yeah, it did seem it, it does seem like that went away. I don't know if it's people getting older or
1: how do you think or why
0: do you think it changed, like, where blogs became a little bit less prominent or important.
1: Well, I mean, I think I think with anything, uh, you know, there's 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 a signal to noise ratio, right? Like 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 Splat Books and Third Edition. There was there there got to be there was a lot of blogs, and, and not to say that they weren't all good, but they some weren't the greatest, and it, it I think. It, it got. It became very saturated, right? And the barrier to entry for a blog is you have to have ideas, be willing to type them out onto a keyboard and cast them into the Internet. And so the barrier for entry there is is pretty low. I mean, Internet access and basic knowledge of how to sign up for WordPress, even if you're not hosting yourself. And uh, I think that's what created kind of that glut, that saturation. Not that it's necessarily a bad thing, as opposed to, I mean, it's different now in 2017, but say 20, you know, even 2013, 2012, you know, having a decent recording setup, having a decent microphone and internet and things like that weren't what it is now. Whereas now, I feel like that barrier to entry is kind of at the same level where it was with blogging. Basically, everybody has a webcam now. Most people have broadband. They have enough know how to, you know, r- record and edit short videos, put things out there, put themselves up on a live stream but again i think the same the same thing circles back right like just about anybody can have a live stream but i mean i've spent plenty of nights on twitch looking for good tabletop content to watch and i've attempted to make some of my own it's hard i mean if you really want it to be good you've kind of got to have a crew you got to have a bunch of cameras you got to have you know your software set up it's not just like you know i know you you play hearthstone a lot or or any other computer game where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to fire up this game, I'll put my streaming software on my other monitor, and then people will see what's on my screen, because tabletop games require, you know, you know, you want to see people's facial reactions, and you want to, if they've got a table, you want to see what's on the table, you want to see the die rolls, you need kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you need all those visual aspects to go with it, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there now, but there's really, you know, there's a handful of folks that are doing it really, really well, and then from there on out, there's this kind of, wide curve of you know the quality of that content
0: and i think it's certainly different skills because i've dabbled in a few of these areas. oh yes yeah. so i feel like from my background as in psychology as a scientist and like writing research papers like i've kind of brought that to the blog and not that i certainly don't try to write research papers <laughs> as blog articles <laughs> i think the length of some of them some of the people might like, criticize that
1: you know what no, you i i have always been a very verbose person and when i read your blog i think you know what i'm not that wordy but i real. <laughs> you know i realize what you do for a profession and, and the research and everything so it's it's nice though right so like the like that skill set for blogging is you have all this front-loaded stuff you can do all this research you can present your case you can you can think it out you can edit you can go back do i want to say this this way do i really you know is this the best way to convey this etc etc Whereas this, this new generation of, of media, everything is on the fly, off the cuff. You've got to be ready. You've got to be quick. You've got to have your wits about you. And I like, yeah, you said the word skill set. And I really think that's what comes to mind. It's a it's a completely different skill set and, and tabletop too, right? Like I've spent a couple years – I'm basically done now, but streaming video games and even that completely different skill set. I mean, there's some shared generalities between setting up streaming software and stuff, but the communities and the interactions and the things that viewers want compared from video games to tabletop are all pretty different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned that I've I've dabbled in streaming uh, Hearthstone a bit, and I realized like that is not a skill set that I really have. And <laughs> it's something I would need to develop in terms of while playing the game talking about the game doing something that's entertaining and engaging mm-hmm. to, to folks while also still having fun myself mm-hmm. and i haven't quite figured out that formula
1: quite see yet. <laughs> i don't i don't think it's for everybody because that's i mean i kind of came to that conclusion right i'm I think of myself as a—I'm a pretty easygoing, relatively entertaining person, or I—or I can be, but it depends on the game that I'm playing, right? If I'm playing a mindless, you know, if you're playing PUBG or some, you know, game where you just run around and shoot people or whatever, sure, I can carry on a conversation and look at chat and kind of be engaging. But if I'm playing something, you know, like like Hearthstone, I'm a—everybody hates playing games with me because I'm always the slowest person to take my turn. That's so right. like. I'm always thinking about, you know, like I'll wear that timer out in Hearthstone or any other card game because I'm trying to weigh my options the whole time before I finally make a decision. Or, you know, if you're playing a game that has a really good story that's kind of engrossing, I find myself, I'm in front of the camera and I'm just gazing, like I'm really reading whatever the dialogue is or I'm really into it. And then it's like, oh, oh I'm on the internet. People are supposed to be watching me right now. Oh, I better say something. And it's just, I found myself with this cognitive dissonance where it's like, I want to play this game and I want to enjoy it, but I also want to stream it because I want to share it with people who also might enjoy it, but do I need a save game for the stream and a save game for myself? And there's just this kind of mental racquetball where I could never land on what I really wanted to do. And I realized trying to stream video games and enjoy them is not, it's not, I don't think it's going to work out the way my brain works, you know, but tabletop games, that's different.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely something that I, I've noticed, just as someone who's really enjoyed video games since I was playing Atari decades mm-hmm. ago, <laughs> that now it, it's almost a, like everything's a spectator sport. And I guess our society yeah. is like that in a way. <laughs> yeah. That you have an audience. Even if no one is around you, you can, al- you can cultivate an audience, you can build an audience, you can develop a personality. Um, mm-hmm. And you can do that while waiting in line at the bank or playing a video game. Mm-hmm. People can kind of pay attention to you doing this. I mean even on a kind of a lesser degree, like I have a Twitter feed and usually any game I get into, I'll take screenshots or you know post some thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. And doing that or thinking about doing that takes me out of the moment of actually just playing the game and enjoying it. Yeah. And I wonder how many other people are just aware of that push and pull or if it's just kind of second nature to younger folks where it's like, Yeah, this is just the way it is. I don't know.
1: I, w- I wonder those exact same things. To be one hundred percent honest with you, those exact same situation, bar none.
0: So what what resolution or outcome have you come to?
1: My my outcome is I don't. I used to try and fit time in for streaming, and uh, I mean, you know, I I got a day job. I've got a, a wife and two kids. I have other interests outside of. Actually, if I say I have other interests outside of games, it's kind of a lie. It's just different flavors of games, right? Board games, tabletop games, video games, war games. They're all basically games. <laughs> but, you know, being an adult, as I'm sure you know, your amount of uh, available free time is limited. And so I found myself, you know, going to set up and Oh, what am I going to play tonight? Okay. And just the, the overall getting ready for everything, I'd be like, oh, I only have this much time left now that everything's ready. So... I just decided – I don't I don't think it's for me. It was fun while it lasted. I might do it occasionally, charity stream or something, um, but I just kind of put that to rest. Now, as far as tabletop goes, if I ever come up with a solid plan like, hey, every Tuesday night I'm going to stream uh, our Demon Lord game or I'm going to stream game prep or something and I have enough time to prepare, then I'll totally do it because I, that comes a lot more naturally to me because – I think tabletop games are intrinsically a little more social than video games, and I know somebody's going to hear this and be like, <gasps> "But just I just I just think that they are." Yes, there's voice chat. Yes, there's emotes. There's all sorts of things. But I just think that tabletop games are a little more intimate, a little more animated, a little more personal, and I think that just kind of works better for me. But mm-hmm. you know, at, at this current time, uh, it's all on the back burner.
0: So what's on the front burner for you these days?
1: Uh, let's see front burner I've got I've got a top secret project. don't want to talk about that just yet but... I do have, I got some freelance stuff coming out this year, um, from Cobalt Press. There's, uh, an adventure that was, uh, run last Gen Con, uh, called Under the Devil's Thumb, uh, for 5th edition. That's a Southlands adventure, and I think that's going to be bundled in with a couple other folks' adventures, uh, in something coming up. I'm not sure I can say much more than that, but there's okay. myself and some other folks from the community who are also going to be published in that same, uh, tome, and then, uh, Hopefully, everything willing and everything shakes out, right? I should have uh, an adventure for expert characters for Shadow the Demon Lord coming out this holiday. It's a Krampus adventure. Nice. Uh, called called He Sees You While You're Sleeping. And uh, it's currently last last little bits of playtesting, and then I'm going to send it off to Rob, and hopefully it can it can become a thing in time for some holiday terror. We'll see.
0: Sweet. That sounds great. So... What game do you play the most now? Like, what are you either tabletop or video game? Like, what are you? What's currently capturing your attention the most?
1: The terrible social contract of Destiny 2 currently. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to resist this game. I played Destiny One. Actually, Valthonus, uh, you know, you had him on the show not too long ago. Dwayne, yeah. When I, When I got, yeah, when I got PS4, Dwayne was like, Jerry, you've got to play Destiny, it's a lot of fun, and he gifted me a copy of it, and it was like, you know, the whole shebang with all the expansions and stuff, and I'm like, okay, I'll dive in, and I did, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a PC gaming elitist but I'm also really really genuinely bad at playing first person shooters with console controllers Um, and so I made it to max level I could never raid I could never really catch up I could never really get into it Um, and then it was like Destiny is coming to PC and you know I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft I ran a really big guild in WoW and Vanilla and so that pull to like get together with people and achieve common goals and do raids and things like that is something that is always tugging at me no matter how much the adult part of my brain says you don't have time for that. You're not going to relive the glory days. But then the other childish part of me is like, stay up till two in the morning playing that game with your friends. What could go wrong? So yeah, uh, I, I ended up getting it for PS4 to play with some buddies. And then my other buddies who were on PC are like, oh, we all got it. So now I own two copies of a game that I never really wanted to play because I was like, oh, I don't really know if it's for me, but. Um, i've been playing destiny because it's i can just turn my brain off and shoot aliens and kind of you know just just shoot shoot the crap with my friends so currently that's my and, and by currently i mean like this week in general uh, i still play a lot of D um i'm in a tomb of annihilation campaign right now as a player which is amazing um Excellent. and also an ongoing shadow of the demon lord uh game with some some friends of mine that we play either in here in my house and we have one guy uh you know, joins in from the internet or uh, we just do it over tabletop simulator because they've got a baby and sometimes he's, uh, he doesn't want to, you know, (laughs) he's not into it. So they stay home and we do it on the internet.
0: And so I've never had the privilege of playing Shadow of the Demon Lord. So I guess for me and for folks who might be listening who have maybe seen that but haven't had a chance to play it, what is kind of a sketch of what it's like to play that game and how it's different from other tabletop offerings?
1: Sure. So, I will. I'll give you a link first of all. Uh, shameless plug. I do have. I do have an article on my blog that's that's basically like ten good reasons to try Shadow of the Demon Lord if you haven't already. But I'll I'll give it to you in a nutshell. So, basically, Shadow of the Demon Lord, I guess, is D and D like in the sense that it uses a D twenty for its core mechanic. But the game is very fast. So initiative is one of the biggest things about the game. There's basically you either take a fast turn or you take a slow turn. And the way it works is um, people who take a fast turn, they get one action. People who take a slow turn, they get to move and then take an action. And the same thing goes with the monsters. But the thing is you decide on the fly. So it's like okay, combat started. Who wants to take a fast turn? Who wants to take a slow turn? And so somebody can say, I'm going to take a fast. I'm just going to, you know, I've got my weapon ready. I'm going to shoot at this guy. Okay, they take their turn. And then the next player, you know, it's 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 not a set initiative order like it is in Dungeons & Dragons. It's very fluid. It's very malleable. And it always just goes um, fast players and then fast monsters, slow players, and then slow monsters. That's how the four different segments break down. But they don't have to be predetermined right when combat starts, right? So it, it just kind of goes how people want it to go like okay you you missed your shot maybe i'll do this or okay you hit we'll let this other person go and see how that works out before i take my turn and it gives the player some some agency right Mm -hmm. it's a game that's really good for just telling players yes like they're like can i do this yes the the rules are i don't want to say they're super light it's not like um it's not like a uh you know, uh, gosh, I don't know, like fate. It's not super narrative. There's still some crunch to it, but it's not, um, it's not crunchy like D and D and character generation is not crunchy like D and D. One of the, the beautiful things about demon Lord is you can make a character in, in literally five minutes. There's not a lot of front loaded choices. If you're making a, a level zero character, you pick an ancestry and you go to town. That's, that's basically it.
0: And that's where I have the article up here now. It's uh, ten great reasons why you should give Shadow of the Demon Lord a try, back from uh, September sixteenth, twenty sixteen, so a little over a year ago. And uh, one of the third the third point you mentioned is this idea of simple mechanics. That and that's yeah. what you're talking about there. And then the second point you mentioned is that the path system is brilliant. So what is the
1: path system? So path system is like. Have you ever played uh, EverQuest 2 or uh, or maybe even Dragon Age? So a game where basically you start out with, in Demon Lord, you can be a... You, you start out as an Ancestry, which is basically your race. And then once you reach level 1, you will pick a path. And so it starts with your your basic novice path, right? So there's a magician, there's a priest, there's a rogue, there's a warrior,
0: so is it kinda of like Diablo three in some ways where you like assign points to unlock different abilities?
1: No, it's it's more like you start out with a base archetype, right? So like you've got the the classic four, you've got a magic user or a magic damage dealer, a magic healer, uh, you've got a tough guy with weapons, and then you've got a quick guy, right? You got the rogue, the warrior, the wizard, the cleric, basically, even though those aren't the the names. Sure. And then from there you branch out. So the other paths are, like, the priest, you know, the priest turns into uh, it turns into a druid and a soothsayer and other things like that. So you kind of go down a more specialized path, and those paths are also linked to, um, like, the narrative of the game, right? So when you choose a path, there's a reason why you choose that path. So, for example, you start as a novice. And then you would move to an, an expert path, and then you move into master paths. And so, like, expert paths are a little more specialized, right? You have things like assassins, berserkers, druids, oracles, etc. And then when you get to master paths, you get very specific things like engineer, enchanter, diviner, hexer, hydromancer. Basically, you know, anything mancer is also in there. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. Mage knight, yeah.
0: Cool. And in terms of. The DM's role in this compared to something like 5e, what's the load like? How how do your responsibilities uh, differ between the two systems?
1: So I mean, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of comparisons that are pretty much the same. You're going to prepare an adventure ahead of time. You're going to have monster stat blocks, but the kind of the beauty is so two things. One is Demon Lord is built around a ten session campaign, assuming that each session is about four hours. There's no XP system. It's just when the characters finish an adventure, they they move up a level. It's basically like the milestone system in D &D where the milestone is an adventure. But the the prep is amazing because all the published adventures are anywhere from four to eight pages, and they're just kind of – they set the scene. They give you the details, motivations, uh, you know, some bulleted items, and it's enough there that you know what's – as a DM, you know what's going on. You know why the characters are there. You know the purpose of everything, and you kind of let it unfold, and you get to put your own spin on it, whereas – in something like D&D, you read a lot of manuals, and it says if the players talk to this person at this time, this very specific thing happens, and it's almost kind of like a flow chart. Uh, and it, Demon Lord's a lot more open-ended. There's a lot more freedom for the DM to just be like, well, I know what this NPC's motivations are. Based on what I know, this is what's going to happen. There's, there's also a lot of room for everything to go terribly wrong.
0: <laughs> and this is something I believe last month Enrique and I were talking about when we were reviewing Tomb of Annihilation a bit for fifth edition is just how the official adventures from, from WOTC these days are expansive. I mean, they're like very mm-hmm. comprehensive. There's a lot of detail. And one thing I've remarked, and I believe we've, we've spoken about this on Twitter going back and forth is just like, I know my groups cause we don't get to meet nearly as often as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. We're never going to finish these adventures. Like, oh, yeah. It's exciting to start them. I'd love to get through all the material, but by the time we make any kind of progress, the next adventure is going to come out, and I'm going to be like, "Oh, we should do that.
1: Right. The, right, the exactly. idea
0: of short, containable modules or adventures like, is really appealing to me. I wish like Wizards did that a bit more often.
1: You know, that's the thing that Enrique and I had talked about. Like what happened to the small adventure module? And you know, I love Ravenloft and so far I love Tomb of Annihilation. I've really enjoyed everything they've put out. But yeah, from a from a substance standpoint, these are kind of like I look at the the, the current adventure offerings that watsi's putting out and i look at them like these are the open world games of the tabletop world these are the skyrims and the fallouts and the assassin's creed there's this whole world there's all this stuff going on and that's awesome but sometimes i just need just take me i don't need the whole theme park just give me one ride from start to finish point a to b you know a short Thing that I know that I can get through, and like you said, it won't be like, oh, well, this new campaign's coming out. Maybe we should move to this, or you know that within reasonable time you will never finish it, or you know you'll be grandparents by the time you do. (laughs) Right.
0: That's one of the things I liked about like Tales of the Yawning Portal, which I realize is just a bunch of Mm -hmm. old old adventures, kind of repackaged. But I like the idea of maybe early on establishing a hub, like here's a town or here's a place where the adventurers can start out. And then here's a bunch of short modules that you can pick and choose from and decide what's next. And, like, that would be awesome if they have that. And I don't know if that's just not very feasible from a business model. Or I know Enrique mentioned that there's a lot of material on uh, the guild, which people are putting out their own adventures that are much shorter. Um, mm-hmm. And that seems like it would be hard to know what's good, what's not high quality. You know, having all the talent they have at Watsi put out the. More contained yeah. adventures, like even something like Death House, which was more of an intro adventure for Curse of Strahd. I thought that was great. It was like this is kind of a contained thing you could run
1: through. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the starter box adventure was really good too. Yeah,
0: Fandelver, yeah, that was really neat. Like, it, it'd be great if there was more products like that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think, <laughs> uh, I think that some of that is marketing, right? So. It's great that we can have the Tomb of Annihilation and Strahd, but then it also ties back to, right? It ties back to the in store things. It ties back to the Neverwinter MMO. It ties back to, you know, I, I feel like the, it, it's almost like the, you know, the scene from Spaceballs where it's like, oh, we've got the lunchbox and the, you know, it, like if Spaceballs,
0: the flamethrower. Yeah.
1: Yes. Like if D&D were as popular now as it was in the 80s, like to the point where there was, you know, like, oh, the breakfast cereal. Here's the Strahd Saturday morning cartoon. Like, it's all very purposeful and i and i totally get it they're a company they're trying to make money so i'm I'm sure that there's a reason why we're not seeing uh shorter adventures and but yeah you know like you said there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff on the dm's guild but it is kind of hard to tell what what is what like what's good and and what's not yeah and i think it's just when i my
0: old man thought of the day just kind (laughs) of growing up with second edition and going through modules like horror on the hill and Keeper of the borderlands it was like that type of thing or if you went to a store and there was like five or six modules you'd look at I'm like oh which one do i want to get next and I, I realized that's a very different model It was a very different time um, but even if they had stuff you could download pdfs and whatnot that would be useful but
1: yeah now i've been saying for a while do you remember in fourth edition when there was the I think it was Hammerfast, yes. and then there was Vorrukoth and those were kind of like it was almost like a folio, right? They gave you a map, they gave you some history, they gave you some locales, some NPCs. They kind of gave you this like little playground, mm-hmm. and maybe there was some some seeds and a, and a main objective tucked in there somewhere. But it was kind of like here's a sandbox. It's not a huge sandbox, mm-hmm. but here's a sandbox to play in, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I miss I miss maps, right? So I really loved. Um, I really loved Yawning Portal, but so many, I mean, they're all dungeon delves. I just feel like I would have paid an extra $10 or or if they'd make a map pack so I could have big fold-out maps of some of those because one of the, particularly uh, Sunless Citadel, there's a map in there that's so small, and I'm only 33. Like, I was looking at that map, and I was like, is there something wrong with my eyes because <laughs> this is, right. I need a bigger version of this.
0: Yeah, it can be, it's sort of one way to play the game, and there's a lot of, different ways to play D, if that makes sense
1: oh yeah yeah D D is one of those things I-, I always say that you know it's very at least at least to me it's very intimate you know it's i've made the mistake so many times being like you play dnd i play D, let's get together and play a campaign and it's kind of like you don't really know the person or you know them through a mutual friend or something and then you end up with these weird fits and campaigns fizzle like to me, D&D is a very intimate thing. It usually takes place in my house. I'm inviting you over. I'm making you food, whatever. We're, we're all participating in this collective experience. And it's not just like, a, oh, hey, do you want to play online? Oh, I got to go. All right, you disconnect. You're done. Like people enter your home. You get to know them on a personal level. D&D, I feel, is a very personal experience and i don't know where i was going with this really <laughs> but but i mean it, it just is and i for me playing D&D is always like um you know it's a bit of a commitment right so Absolutely. you want yeah. you, you want it you want it to last you want everybody to be you know amicable and have a good time and as an adult with schedules and so many other things i feel like it's just it's so much harder than it used to be that's why i think things like roll 20 and tabletop simulator are are a, they're a blessing for lack of better words. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think that's one of the reasons that the, the idea of the shorter adventures appeals to me so much, because starting a campaign, especially with some of the published stuff, it's like a big commitment that you're saying, like, okay, we're not only going to get together this evening and, and play these characters and do this adventure, but this is something that we're going to do at once every, depending on the group, every week, every two weeks, every mm-hmm. month for the next six to 12 to 18 yeah. months or three yeah. years and it's a lot to commit to um, mm-hmm. and it's just interesting you know years ago i wrote about this idea that we're moving away from being a culture of ownership and more of a culture of people who just kind of rent things or products are more disposable mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's part of it for me it's just it's like it's a lot to commit to to say okay we're going to be playing this adventure and i know you know my group we can play once a month and we'll try to make progress and go towards it it's kind of this big social contract you're all committing to without anybody ever really talking about it yeah um, i don't know if that's making sense like what are, what are your thoughts
1: no no i i totally agree it, it is really it's it's a big social contract so like i mean let's say like you said six to twelve months maybe eighteen months a year and a half a lot can happen in a year and a half. People get new jobs, babies are born, you know, like people come and go, and and so many things happen. So, to to, to make that social contract, the initial investment is easy, right? You're like, hey, you want to play a game? I want to play this game. Let's all play it together. It'll be a great time. But then nobody really. I mean it's so easy to get wrapped up in the moment of, oh yeah, we're going to have a D&D campaign, it's going to be so great, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and then it's like, oh, well, how are we actually going to consistently do this, you know, every week, or every other week, or every month, for the next X amount of months, in between birthdays and holidays, and life as we know it, and emergencies, and all sorts of other things, and expect it realistically to be accomplished, and it's, I think that it falls apart more often than not, but I don't think it's the game's fault, I mean, I just think it's the, the, you know, it's modern living.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, that would be interesting. I know there was an article, I think it was in 538, where they were analyzing the different character classes that were made. Like, if people, then mm-hmm. the most common character, I think, was a a human fighter, which seems kind of easy to predict. People stick with what they know. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if internally, or the, the Roll20 folks, if they keep track of, like, how many campaigns start and when do they fizzle out?
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. I would love to have my hands on some of that some of that data just just for pure curiosity. And we can try and form our own through Twitter polls and, and anecdotal evidence. But it would be great if, you know, in a couple of years we could get some like really juicy D&D beyond data or just to just to really kind of get a, a bigger picture of stuff like that, because I'm interested in that, too.
0: And I think it plays into what you were talking about when we started off is how the evolution of tabletop games and how it's changed and spoken with some other guests about all the the sh- streaming and some of the videos of like kind of celebrities or official like Watsy games that are being played that you can watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just more accessible, I think, in some ways to learn how to play D&D to see what it is. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting. I think it gets more people in. I, I wonder what are the factors that make it stick for folks, where it's not like, oh, yeah, I tried to play D&D. It was interesting, versus people who are like, yeah, I'm totally into it now.
1: Right. I don't know. For For the longest time, I always said that, that Watsi needed this renaissance, right, because – I've always been into video games. I got Nintendo when I was five. I got my first PC when I was 14. Immediately took to gaming and probably what got me into IT in general, taking things apart and breaking them. But I had gotten a copy of Baldur's Gate 2 from a friend and actually – he got it from his dad, who went to Lithuania and got it off the black market or something. I think nice. it was a it was a very ill gotten copy of Baldur's Gate too. But he's like, you should check this game out. And I got so into Baldur's Gate too. I would I would fake sick from school so I could stay home and play it. And uh, a buddy of mine, I remember one time I told him I was playing. He's like, oh yeah, that's a D and D game. And I was like, what? And he's like, Dungeons and Dragons. Like we play that at the hobby shop behind the grocery store. You know, every Wednesday. You should come by and try it sometime. And I'm like. I didn't know there was like another game behind this game. And I went and I made a rogue and I died in like the first five <laughs> minutes of playing. And then I spent the rest of my time sitting there playing Blood, that old first person shooter with a pitchfork for the rest of the time. And then I made up another character. And I just, I feel like that gateway is easier when you have something that is less scholastic right so i had a video game and it's just like oh i'm clicking on these guys i'm casting spells it's cool and you know we have a lot of the dd video game options now but with streaming you have this this un unrivaled glimpse into the hobby you can pick up a D&D book i remember picking up a D&D book and reading through it and being like oh, okay dungeon master players cast spells and i'm like wait a minute they cast like how does this really how does this you don't know how it plays out in your mind's eye but now you can just be like i'm mildly interested in dungeons and dragons and go to twitch and be like oh here's how it works here's these people playing they're laughing oh you read the book he tells them these things they do those things they roll dice and it clicks instantly for people whereas i think before it was a little more arcane it was a little more kind of like you had to know somebody who would be like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll make you a character you can come and play and you'll figure it out but just picking a book up off the shelf and trying to figure it out, I think, is is daunting.
0: It can definitely be intimidating, sure. I, I you know, even now, I'm telling people like, "Oh yeah, I play D anD D when I have time." Some people are like, not understand what it is, but other people, I have to explain it
1: <laughs> to them. Right? There's, you have to tell them that you don't dress up like an elf.
0: Exactly. Like, oh, do you dress up for that? <laughs> like, No, that that would be awesome, but no, we don't. We don't do that.
1: Yeah. The so, but the other thing, the other the only thing that worries me, right, about all this stream culture is stream culture itself.
0: Yeah, you, um, I wanted to get into that because you wrote about that over the summer, and yeah, dive in.
1: So. I think Twitch culture, I shouldn't say stream culture. Obviously Twitch is, Twitch is the big dog, but there's a lot of other services out there, right? I I streamed on beam for a while and now it's mixer and they were acquired by Microsoft and it's becoming more and more kind of like Twitch where you go into any given channel. If there is a, if there's a girl there, there's, you know, there's all kinds of inappropriate comments. If there's persons of color, there's always bound to be some person who's a bigot and then they get banned. And there's just this whole kind of like, there's a weird side to streaming culture and it's – I mean any culture can be toxic but streaming culture is so immediately toxic, right, because you're in the moment. It's not like you're on your phone and somebody says something to you and you see it on Twitter and you have a moment to process it or formulate a reaction. It's its right there and you have to deal with it right there. And there's a lot of young, immature boys that are, that are kind of on these platforms and – I know that's a stereotype, but I mean, I've I've been pretty deep in streaming culture for a few years now. My wife used to stream. She stopped streaming because of things like that, just because of the constant barrage of inappropriate comments and overly personal questions and blatant trolling and stuff like that. And I know that that's everywhere. That's YouTube comments. That's, you know, uh, just dump Twitter accounts that people use to say mean things. But it's it's very different when you're right in the moment with that person who's saying something inappropriate and like if you have the resources to have a mod who's there all the time who can moderate the chat if you have a team of people I think it's a lot easier but people who are just getting into streaming who want to participate in this community this whole thing need to be prepared for the fact that if they don't have you know at least one or two other people kind of monitoring things and making sure things go good I mean there's there's a lot of potential for really unpleasant interactions with people
0: what you, I mean, I certainly have my thoughts on what drives that, but from being in it both as someone who watches other people stream and someone who's tried to stream games themselves,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what do you think contributes to the to <laughs> jackassery, if you will?
1: Uh, I I think it's a lot of things. I think I think a lot of it is you know. Just bad, bad parenting. People who don't teach their little boys that they can't treat women like objects and they can't just say inappropriate things to people without repercussion. Like it's very easy to say mean things to somebody over the internet because it's it's easy. And th- I mean, there's that whole aspect of it. There's a younger audience. There's people maybe they're with their friends and they're trying to impress people by using cuss words or being awful or or whatever it is. But I think another part of it that I didn't mention is. I think it's some genuine, like, loneliness. I think some people, I mean, from from being a streamer myself and from frequenting other people's streams who I have become a regular in their stream or I'm personal friends with, you know, they've always got people that kind of come around and they're always there and, you know, they kind of hang off every word they say. And it's, I think that streaming brings people together. I think it, it definitely, like, when I'm home alone, sometimes I'll put a stream on when I'm cleaning the house because it's just like, there's another voice, there's something entertaining, whatever. I think that there's that companionship that people lack nowadays, just because of kind of the digital world that we live in. But that sometimes depending on the person's demeanor can lead to these like really creepy interactions. But you know, th- I mean, there's a lot of things without diving into politics or other really like nitty gritty social constructs. I just think it's, I think it's driven by uh, attention seeking behavior. I think it's driven by immaturity And I think it's also driven by, you know, a lot of these things are just kind of shrugged off, right? Like I've been in a lot of people's streams, particularly women, who somebody will come by and be like, oh, show us your tits or whatever. And some are, you know, some just completely ignore it. Don't feed the troll. Don't comment. Some of them have funny macros where they'll be like, oh, yeah, you want to see them? then they'll put a picture of like the bird, a tit up on the screen. And it's like, ha ha. And then, you know, the person kind of like, oh, I, I can't affect this person. But it's just it's just stuff like that that I I feel like it it all depends on it's all your mileage may vary based on how the person behind the screen deals with it and how that person's community in that chat deals with those types of situations. I mean I I was a member of a guy's community once and uh, you know I, I considered him a, a relatively good friend and we played some games together and he had this other kind of crew that he rolled with and they you know they came in one night and like I was. Pvping with them and they were like calling me a faggot and all this other stuff and i was like i don't really understand this and you know that guy who i considered a friend he didn't say anything you know he didn't say like hey that's not cool don't be like that so i think some of the passiveness in streaming culture negatively affects those interactions because yes it's good to not feed the troll but it's also bad to not acknowledge that what those people are doing is not okay
0: yeah i think you know from not not streaming that much and just being kind of you know a little exposure to it both as a viewer and then someone who you know i think at most i've had like four or five people on my stream and it was basically like the people that i've interviewed on this show (laughs) right i think just the, and it's the same thing online on twitter and all the twitter trolls and things like that or even on forums going you know back when those were bigger um Mm -hmm. it's just kind of this lack of accountability like being online there's really you have the anonymity of no one really knows who you are um Mm -hmm and then if you say something like you really there's no quote unquote real world repercussions for right you know doing something that's inflammatory to somebody else whereas you know in a face to face conversation you, that behavior is probably much more toned down i mean cer- yeah. certainly it still happens but online it's like all your inhibitions are just gone because you think well i can get away with whatever mm-hmm. and that's you know, I think it becomes more problematic when now there's, like you said, most a lot of people have access to video, um, a lot of people have access. I mean, like myself, I think my podcast setup's pretty low tech, um, but it's effective, and people can download and listen to it. And like you mm-hmm. said, the barrier for entry to streaming or doing podcasts or having a blog or anything, it's much less. So now everyone has a voice and mm-hmm. what they do with that voice could be either good spirited or not so great spirited but i think that the lack of accountability like there's no repercussions what ha- yeah. what happens to somebody who goes on a stream and just is saying racist things or sexist things like it doesn't seem like there's any there's no negative no. consequences
1: it's it's funny i just i just saw something today and and, and it was an article It basically said that tech isn't built around any kind of morals or scruples, right? Like people are getting outraged that people can say things on Twitter and and get away with it. and, And this applies to streaming too. But it's like these companies, I mean, it's not really, is it in their best interest to say we allow this, we don't allow this because I feel like it hasn't worked out for Twitter so well. Uh, recently, because they seem to be banning the wrong people, right? And and, and I don't I don't want to go down that road and get into politics, like yeah, sure. And, and, and it also comes down to so like, and, and it's not that it's any surprise, right? I'm very vocal about my politics on Twitter, um, and you know I like I've run into these issues because my my Twitter account is kind of like the best and worst of me. I'm I'm very hyperbolic. I'm very sarcastic sometimes, but anybody who knows me knows just like, oh, that's Jerry B and Jerry. But I have really good friends that you know i have Dwayne, i have uh danny Rupp, bartonius on twitter and you know danny's always first one to be like hey are you sure you want to say that because maybe you need to think about how you said it or why you said it and at first i'm always like oh stop blowing me shit danny but then we'll have serious conversations and he you know he brings some things to light to me and you know i always own up to mike whenever i say something dumb i'll be like all right Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Me and Tom Lommel, Dungeon Bastard, we had we had a spat a couple months ago, and it was kind of a, you know, I was being hyperbolic, he was being hyperbolic, and then in the end, I was like, Tom's a great guy. I interviewed him on Haste a, quite a few years ago. He's probably one of the best guests I ever had. Super great guy. And it's just, I think people's egos get get a hold of them, right? And that's part of it, but I think another part of it is, like, if you're going to say something inappropriate, whether it's in a stream or on Twitter or whatever, whatever. You have to be prepared to own up to it, because we do live in a day where, where you can say something, but if it's on a stream, there's an archive of it somewhere. If it was on Twitter, somebody's already screenshotted it. It's somewhere. So if you put it out there, you better be ready to stand behind it in one way or another, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, there's even some, like, streamers for who are pretty closely affiliated with a game like Hearthstone uh, mm-hmm. which again is this kind of, it's run by blizzard. It's a big, uh, like corporation and some of the stuff that they seem to be partnering with to me, would is like way inappropriate mm-hmm. the kind of people that they sort of promote or sort of endorse stuff that happens on like those individual streams. Like to me, I'm kind of dumbfounded that they would even be associated with those folks Yes. And it seems like some of that, the kind of having a persona or a specific personality that in many ways is inappropriate that it's accepted these days. And i mm-hmm. that's the part that, it, again, there's like no repercussions. It's like Blizzard hasn't had people like, well, we're not playing Hearthstone because you seem to be supporting this person. These individuals are popular and keep gaining followers. Like, It's just its right. very strange to me. As, And maybe I'm just a bit of a prude when it comes to this stuff.
1: Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so, man. I mean, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a prude, but I totally agree with you. Like, if you're going to have somebody representing you or, you know, they're, they're the face of your company, like, you know, you open the Blizzard launcher and it says, hey, this person's online and they're streaming one of our games right now. You can click here and go straight to their stream. I mean, that's an endorsement, right? You're saying, here's this person, they're streaming our game, we're probably paying them in some capacity to play this game, go check them out. Anything that person says or does could be representative of you as a company like that's why people get fired for saying you know you wouldn't do that at your job right you wouldn't do that i just think that that there's that fuzzy gray area where people are like oh well it's me it's my stream whatever but at the same time you're representing somebody and something and there are a lot of people potentially who are influenced by you
0: well and this gets into a little bit of a different topic and i think it even prevalent with blogs and twitter of like well this is this is kind of my persona or it's like i i'm not being serious this is just kind of a character i'm playing which can pose its own set of problems
1: no it it definitely does i run into that problem because uh i you know i like running lethal games and i like you know i'm all i'm a big proponent of characters should be able to die things like that but you know i make jokes on twitter like you know, somebody said, "Oh, I killed the you know player died in my campaign today," and I say, "Oh, did you slap them in the face? Did you burn their character sheet in front of them and tell them they were horrible?" Like, obviously, I'm just being hyperbolic. Yes, I think that games should be lethal, but I'm not like a killer DM. I'm not out to screw my players over. It's all just you know a bit of a it's a bit of a goof. It's a bit of the whole Dread Gazebo persona. But there have been times where I've tweeted things, and then later I've looked at them and I thought, if anybody. Wasn't previously following me, and this was the first tweet of mine they ever saw. They would be like, "Why would I ever follow them?" Right. You know, and it's just it comes with the territory of those personas, and you almost have to tell people like you have to be like, "I'm, I'm joking. That was part of my whole shtick," and you know, I'm not the only one. There's been other people on Twitter who've you know they've got that. It's it's a tough line to walk. Yeah, but I think I think there's a difference between having a persona and being like, "Okay, this is a character. This is a bit. I'm done." And people who do something inappropriate and they're like, "Oh no no, I was joking and they hide behind it. you know they're like, oh no no, that was just a joke. I didn't mean to say that incredibly insensitive or offensive thing and then just kind of run behind it and you know use that as a shield.
0: Yeah, I, I just find all these dynamics fascinating from like my background and
1: oh yeah, I bet
0: it's just it, like I did research on this when I was, it seems like a long time ago, back in graduate school. Um, but yeah, just the online identity, how people, will change aspects of their personality in some ways how they'll kind of gender swap to any kind of number of things and that happened mm-hmm. and that happens in games too like i have a player in my current game who's he's a male and he's playing a female character in the last session we played i just i forgot that he was playing a female character and i just kind of said to his character okay what what does he do or what do you do and i said something and i mm-hmm. used the wrong pronoun and he just reminded me he's like my character's female i was like oh Right. And I was just thinking about that interaction from so many different perspectives all at once. I was like, this is so fascinating. And all the stuff that happens on online, whether it's Twitter or streaming, I know people are researching it and kind of published peer-reviewed research usually is so many years behind what's actually happening now because mm-hmm. that process takes time. But I, I think there's going to be some really – Cool dissertations and articles that are going to show up in probably the next two three years that will kind of be eye opening about these cultures and what, yeah. what they what the effects that they have on people.
1: Yeah, I, I I think so too. I mean, I'm obviously not as you know in the know with with things like that, but you know, as far as you, with psychology and, and dissertations and things like but but I'd love I love data, right? I would love to read those things and find out because I've always you know, you know. Back, when, remember when we used to just call them handles? You know, what's your sure. what's your handle? What's right. your your net handle? Even you know, since since the dawn of that, there's there's been you know kind of this this uh, other layer, right? You people now have this other layer. They have this digital version of themselves, or you know, maybe not themselves, but some caricatured version of themselves. And uh, it's actually very interesting now that I think of it. My very first Gen Con when i met people from twitter it's it's always it's always a little weird right so like you you see somebody you associate them with a little picture right. and, and the things that they say and then you kind of you kind of project your whatever tone of voice you might have for them. That's another really interesting thing. That's a whole other topic is that, you know, there, there, there is no tone of voice on the internet and we can use punctuation all we want, but you can still never fully convey, you know, a person's mannerisms. And so I would bump into these people and be like, Oh yeah, so-and-so you're so-and-so. And then, you know, maybe you go have a beer with them. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay. I didn't, I always imagined this person this one way And then you meet them in person and, you know, maybe they're kind of like that, but for the most part, they're completely different. But then when you go back to Twitter and you have these interactions with them after that, they're different. Right. So like, for example, I still have not met uh, Dwayne. I haven't met Valthonis in person. I've been friends with him since I've been on Twitter, probably seven, eight years. But then there's other people like Enrique. I've met Enrique a good handful of times and, you know, we've played games together and and uh, it's just really weird, not to say that I don't you know, it's not like I feel weird about like my relationship with Dwayne, but it's it's just different once you have shared a physical space with a person, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember going to gen- the only Gen Con I've been to was twenty twelve, and I think I think I might have met you there briefly, but one of the people I had been chatting with online was uh, Tracy Barnett, and I was in a pre- uh, like a panel for brian Mm -hmm. patterson and this guy sits down next to me and i never met him before and i'm looking (laughs) at him and i'm like oh this is the other tracy from twitter this is and so i was like do i what do i like i should introduce myself and brian was talking so i like sent him a message on twitter i was like hey i'm sitting right next to you (laughs) And like his phone buzz, I see him look at his phone and he looked over at me and just started laughing. (laughs) It's it's just stuff like that's weird. It's just really, it's a really interesting, it's a very interesting culture. And I imagine like I've had my handle, the DM for, I don't know, six years now. And I know there's been folks who like, you know, will read articles or maybe listen to this podcast and kind of have a sense like they know me. And and Mm -hmm. I've never met them. And yeah, it's it creates an odd dynamic because if I run into these people, they have all this sort of background knowledge about me and what I like and what I don't like and all this stuff and kind of will jump into a conversation as if we've been friends for six years. And it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic.
1: It, it is and I, I yeah same thing I've been you know it's like oh hey you're the dread gazebo whatever and I'm like oh yeah hey like who were and it's 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 weird to go into and I'm sure it's the other way around right like I'm not saying that we're Twitter celebrities no, by any no, means but is, anybody no. who is you know you've conversed with somebody online for X amount of time and you you kind of share this right we have the, everybody has this shared common ground of D&D and then you meet this person and you have these expectations you have these uh you know these kind of preconceived notions of X, Y, and Z based on maybe your own things that you're projecting, and it's like, oh, we only talk about D and D. We've never really talked about you know whatever it is that's going on right now. And yeah, it's it's a very it's very weird, but it's also it's kind of cool. Like it's kind of cool in its own little way.
0: Yeah, I remember there's like a joke going around, and I'll probably butcher the wording, but back when sort of the internet and you met people online it was like oh i don't want people to know who i really am on the internet and now it's like i don't all the people i really like and want to hang out with are on the internet and in my real life i'm not that close to people (laughs) Uh, it sort of flipped a little bit
1: it it really is and it's it's because we get to cultivate these streams right our news our everything is like what we want to see and i think i've heard a joke like that similar that's like oh I really like all the strangers in my Twitter feed more than I like all the people I actually know in real life in my Facebook feed. Right. And, you know, my wife and I will go to cons and, and it it never fails. Every con on the drive home, it's always some conversation like, wouldn't it be great if we just had this little you know, we like I've talked about it with Brian Patterson and, and so many other people, like, yeah, we're gonna build a, a gated gamer community. You know, we're just all we're all gonna get old yeah. in the same. Yeah, because you go to a convention and you're hanging out with people and everybody has similar interests and common ground and you kind of get to catch up on you know what maybe the buzz was over the year or what the hot topic is or what the game going on right now is and it's just very you know you're kind of filled with elation and then you leave the con and you're like oh well, now I have to go back to work. Now I have to go back to my coworkers who don't know what D and D is, and you know my my boss who gives me a weird look when I bring my DMG to work and read it on my lunch break. And you're like, you know, you've got to go, you've got to phase back into normalcy. And it's always a little, it's always a little. I've always, I've always think it's a little depressing. Like I get bummed after conventions. Like, oh, that's over now. I have to go back to just being a regular person.
0: It's interesting, and when those worlds tend to. Whenever they mix, it's kind of it, – it's a, it's an interesting thing. I, I I like the idea of us all having like a virtual nursing home like <laughs> 30 or more years from now where everyone just kind of yeah. hangs out and checks in. It's like, all right, what are we doing today? It's like, okay, let's, let's have some drinks, play some games, and just rinse and repeat every day.
1: I'm on board with that. Sounds good.
0: Well, we've kind of sprawled around all over the place. I hope folks have uh, – followed along and had some interesting, uh, thoughts. And certainly if, if people wanted to, you know, follow you or get in touch with you, look at your work, how can, how can they find you?
1: Uh, so you can find me, uh, as dread gazebo on Twitter. And that's with two E's because someone has been squatting the properly spelled one since I joined Twitter. Uh, and also, so a dread gazebo, G-A-Z-E-E-B-O. Um, and my blog is DreadGazebo.net. Um and that's basically it. Stay tuned for any other top secret cool stuff i'll I'll post about it in one of those places. yeah,
0: is that something you might post about before the end of the year or maybe early next year
1: it'll It'll probably be before the end of the year as long as I can get my button gear and get this freelance work knocked out i I don't like having too many plates spinning, so hopefully by the end of the year we can we can reveal what's what's going on with with me and a few other folks
0: excellent well best of luck in all your endeavors and i, I hope we both uh, find find some time to enjoy the games that uh we want to play and sometimes can't get to
1: <laughs> definitely michael it has been a pleasure thank you for having me on it's been a blast if you ever you ever need a guest in the future and you want to sit around and ramble for another hour get all
0: excellent me. sounds great
1: all right man talk to you later